Chapter 15 Tribute There were hundreds of ships raining down into Earth's atmosphere. At the peak, the invaders tried to take the space station from Sword Command. The invaders spent all of ten minutes in control of the station, before Sword agents took it back. That was just long enough for the intruders to set up a subspace beacon that would call the rest of their forces to the planet below. Nation after nation fell with unsettling ease. From Adelon, Black Bolt summoned the Illuminati. Prince Namor of Atlantis had already surrendered. Doctor Strange's whereabouts, always enigmatic, remained unknown. Corvus Glaive and Supergiant were sent to locate the blue-furred beast in upstate New York. They met a great deal of resistance from the X-Men, but the end result was inevitable. They had numbers on their side, and they did not care how many of their troops fell fighting for Thanos' glory. Wakanda's defenders repelled the first attack on that African nation, and New York withstood the worst of the offensives, thanks in large part to the weapons employed by Reed Richards and Tony Stark from Avengers Tower. The summons sent out, Black Bolt waited and looked to the stars. As a result, he was among the first to see the massive vessel come down and hover above his city, just out of range of the most powerful weapons. The ship that dropped from the larger vessel was a speck in comparison— but closer inspection revealed it was large enough to carry an alarming number of troops. The ship landed without incident in a broad courtyard and discharged its contents. Black Bolt recognized the creatures. These were of a kind with the thing that had invaded his bedchamber, indeed, the chambers of his mind. The thing had been tough enough to endure incredible damage, and now there were a dozen of the nightmares moving across the landing field and marching toward his throne room, Behind them strode armored aliens who looked more human-like, led by a robed figure carrying a large, wicked blade. Black Bolt waited for them, and his family stood with him. Karnak, who could find any physical weakness in a foe, assessed the gathered intruders. Medusa, his wife, stood at his right hand, where she so rightly belonged. They were still not comfortable in their disagreement, but she spoke for him on all matters. Maximus stood on his left— Next to him were Gorgon, the green-scaled water-breather, Triton, Crystal, and the massive canine, Lockjaw. Around them gathered a hundred guards, all prepared to fight, and even die, if he commanded it. He had no intention of commanding anything of the sort. At least forty armored guards moved with the nightmare creatures. They appeared to be of different species. Some were humanoid, others were not. The creature carrying the massive weapon was draped in a cloak of funereal black. His face was pale gray, and his teeth were large and predatory. He smiled as he walked, but the expression carried no joy. Finally, he stopped before the throne and looked around. Speak. Medusa's command was not a request. The creature continued scanning the room, glancing everywhere, but at black bolt. The insult was obvious. I am Corvus Glaive, and I am here on behalf of my master, he said. I seek a king, he gestured around the chamber. Is there a king here? I hear stories of a great inhuman king, but I look around and cannot seem to find one. His wicked smile grew wider still. 
I ask for, perhaps he is a king of small stature, a tiny king of a small, irrelevant kingdom. Maximus spoke. Building things to last ages does not seem a small thing to me, he said. Adelon stands while the world below crumbles. When Medusa spoke again, her voice carried an air of authority and confidence that well suited a queen. My husband, Black Bolt, is king. What are you? I am a servant of my master, Thanos, a destroyer of worlds, a breaker of kings. Corvus Glaive held out his blade in a mockingly formal salute. I am one of five, Corvus Glaive, a member of the Call Obsidian, the Midnight Slaughter. Maximus yawned and crossed his arms. The gesture was not lost on Black Bolt or on the grinning beast before them. The smile faltered for an instant. He seemed disconcerted that no one cowered before him. What do you and your Call Obsidian want, Corvus Glaive? Medusa asked. Thanos named his generals in that way, Glaive said. We prefer the Black Order. It is less foreboding. Our master allows us some indulgences. Medusa waved away his speech. Why are you here? She demanded. You have seen what we have done to this world, he answered. It is a purge, a gauntlet. We test the metal of the people with a cleansing fire to separate the weak from the strong. He waved to one side with a hand that boasted three grotesquely thin fingers, ending in wicked claws. It is what we do. It is our purpose. We kill. Glaive pointed at Black Bolt. Lockjaw let out a low growl of warning. So it is no small miracle that Thanos sent me for another reason. The creature of the Black Order continued, I am to deliver a message to the inhuman king. Thanos knows what you are hiding. He knows your secret. This knowledge has value, the result of which is influence. My master has demands. I have a warning for you, Corvus Glaive, Medusa said, her living hair whipping around her head like a nest of angry crimson serpents. People have come before this throne many times with demands. It has often cost them their lives. Corvus Glaive laughed, and Black Bolt frowned. Few took the threats of the Inhumans so lightly. I wonder, when you correct your children, do you threaten them with candy if they misbehave? Glaive's grin grew wider still, bearing heavy fangs and dark gray gums. Excuse me? Medusa replied. Even Maximus seemed confused by the words. You cannot threaten someone with what they want. With those words, Glaive gestured, and the slaughter began. As one, his own soldiers, the forty men in armor, lifted their swords and drove the blades through their own throats. Glaive continued to smile as the honor guard died around him. When it was done, only the nightmare creatures and Thanos' general remained standing. 
the blood of his soldiers gathered in a large black pool that spread as they bled out. Black Bolt did not move, though his fist was clenched so tightly it shook. Life was a sacred thing, a valued thing, not to be tossed aside so casually. I am one of the five. I do not frighten, Glaive said, his expression grim, pointing again with his ornate blade. We are servants of Thanos. We embrace death. Yes, you could attempt to kill me. Yet even if you could manage that feat, another would take my place with the same demands. My master will get what he desires. And what is that? Medusa said. So very little, my queen. A pittance, really. A portion. He paused a moment, and then smiled again. A tribute. His eyes were red embers in their sockets, and they seemed to glow more brightly at that moment. Speak plainly, monster, Medusa said. The tribute is a show of acquiescence. Glaive's insufferable smile grew even broader. Lord Thanos demands an offering of all inhumans between the standard ages of sixteen and twenty-two. And what are they supposed to offer? Only their heads, he replied. Their families can have what remains. You would have us kill our children to appease your master? Her composure gone, Medusa raised her fists, and her tresses whipped around more violently than ever. What madness is this? It's like Herod, Maximus said, showing greater calm. With the Christ in the ancient times and the human holy books. No! The smile was gone from Corvus' glaive, and he showed his teeth in a snarl of barely repressed rage. Like Thanos of Titan in the now, your people may die a little or die a lot. The choice is yours. You have one day. He spun on his heel and walked out through the unbelievably large pool of blood. The nightmare creatures dropped down and followed him, moving like hounds with bared fangs and snapping jaws. Black Bolt watched the creature go. Chapter 16 Pyrrhic Victory In orbit around the planet Wan Prime, the massive flagship of the Shi'ar Empire accepted a request to board. The much smaller Quinn cruiser limped aboard the Lelandra before its engines gave their last gasp. It was a close thing. Isabel Kane, the first Earthling ever to become a member of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, was there to meet the Avengers. Captain America nodded to her. The Quen Cruiser's done, Smasher, he said. With him stood Thor, Bruce Banner, and Spider-Woman. The systems are fried, the drive's given out, and we barely got here in one piece. Permission to come aboard? Smasher smiled briefly. Gladiator said all courtesies were to be extended, Cap. So welcome aboard the Shi'ar flagship. Lilandra. They stepped across the threshold, followed by Manifold, Black Widow, and Shang-Chi. Any news on the other Avengers? Cap asked. Kane shook her head. No, but they might have vectored out with the Brood, or the Spartax. Spider-Woman shook her head and muttered. 
long as it wasn't the scrolls. Cap shot her a look, and she nodded. The truth is, Smasher continued, if Captain Marvel's carrier doesn't show up here, we won't know until we reach the secondary staging point. Right after the fleet retreated, the Shi'ar network, the Kree Omnicast, and every other wideband communication system went dark. We don't want to advertise anything to the builders, and we don't know enough about their abilities. So we're blind and deaf, Cap said. You got any good news, Izzy? Well, I think I'm falling in love with someone. She was silent, waiting for his reaction, wondering if he would disapprove. But his expression didn't really change. That's some timing, kiddo, Cap remarked. She led them toward the ship's command center. Gladiator sat in a ceremonial throne and looked roughly as comfortable with his position as a barefoot man dancing on broken glass. He was the ruler of the once fragmented empire, not because he had sought the position, but because the responsibility had been placed on his shoulders. His birth name was Kalark, his skin had a violet gray hue, and his hair formed a mohawk. Cap didn't know a lot about his people, only that most of them were gone, destroyed. As they approached the throne, the Imperial Guard member called Oracle was speaking with him in an urgent tone. Magister, I must insist. We cannot wait any longer. She stood at his right hand. We need to make for Behemoth in the fleet staging area. The sooner we reassemble the council, the sooner we can strike back. Gladiator turned to the man at his left hand, the leader of the Imperial Guard since Kalark had been appointed Magistor. Mentor, what Oracle is saying has merit, Mentor said in soft tones. But we chose this rendezvous point for a reason. This farming colony is of no strategic value and far enough away from the path of the builders that we felt it a safe... Abruptly, he was interrupted by a crew member who stood at a holographic display. Proximity alert, the man said. Magistor, we have incoming vessels arriving at the inner system, a Spartax light frigate with four unknown vessels in pursuit. They look to be builder vessels. He kept a tight view on what each of the ships was doing. The frigate has a failing reactor and is bleeding radiation. They aren't going to make it. Oracle reacted quickly. Send out word to the other ships, she said. Have them spool up their drives and prepare to jump. Mentor shook his head. We currently have seven ships unable to make the jump. We could feint an attack, draw them off, and mount a rescue mission. No. The Magistor shook his head and pushed himself up from the throne. They want to make us scatter. They want us to run so they can chase us down. I will not allow that. I will not be beaten again this day. He took in a deep breath and then called out. Warriors of the Shia! Do you see how they hound us? How they hope to hunt us to extinction! He drew up to his full height. Well, I am in no mood for running. He paced across the floor of the command center. You know me as Gladiator, Super Guardian, Magistor of the Empire. But soon you will call me Victor, because I will win here today, or die in the effort. Who will join me? A chant arose, growing louder by the moment. Magistor! 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 Are there warriors here who would fight alongside me? Gladiator asked, looking to his visitors. Smasher turned to one in particular. Bruce Banner looked back. You guys have those devices that let you fly in the vacuum without dying? Flight patches. Yeah, Smasher said. I'm gonna need one. Are you saying you want to fight the Builders? No, 
I'm saying the Hulk wants out, and it would be best if he was directed toward the enemy as soon as possible. I'll get right on that. It took her two minutes to get what he requested. By then, most of the Avengers capable of flying through the void had already joined the Imperial Guard outside of the ship. Ex Nihilo stood at the large port alongside Mentor and a Shi'ar technician watching the carnage that took place outside the vessel. Your gladiator said I was not to join them. I'm sure you can understand the Magistor's caution, Ex Nihilo, Mentor responded. These cursed builders created you, did they not? And who do you think made you? Ex Nihilo replied. Those are gods you battle out there. We have all heard your stories, Ex Nihilo, Mentor said. How your builders and your gardeners traveled from world to world as agents of evolution. How you held us in your hand and gave us a push where you saw fit. How you made us so much more than we were. Well. Look what we have become. Your kind may have been as gods once, he continued, but we no longer need you or want you. Gladiator, Hyperion, and Thor flew together, their bodies plowing through a ship and destroying it. Heat flashed from Gladiator's eyes, and Hyperion sent similar energies from his own. Two enemy ships exploded in flames and shards of debris, Closer in, the Falcon and Captain America took on the Alephs in hand-to-hand -hand combat. We have new gods now, Mentor said. The Hulk came into view and leapt toward the battle. The patch worked as it was meant to, and he hurtled toward his target. Once he reached the vessel, his massive hands tore into the hull and easily ripped it open. Smasher followed after him and used his breech as her doorway into the enemy's craft. The Hulk continued to his next target, barreling through a vessel that exploded into utter ruin. One by one, the enemy ships were destroyed. Shara and Kaithri be praised, the Shi'ar technician said. We have won. Perhaps, Ex Nihilo pointed. Look there, breaking the shadow of the planet. It's not just Alephs you face today, but my kind as well. Ex Nihili. Life itself. As the war raged above, an Aleph and Jaron Ko, the gardener to which it had given birth, landed on the planet. Juan Prime was already fertile. In all of their time traveling together, the golden-skinned Jaron Ko had never seen a planet as lush and green. Look at this, a planet of sustenance, he said. A garden. Do you believe in an afterlife, Aleph? Declarative. My shared code continues on in the other Alephs. The code is eternal. Well, when I die, I will be gone forever, Jaron Ko said. And it seems that in death, our masters make a mockery of all I have done, and all that I am. The robot looked to him. Declarative. Triumph before all, Jaron Ko. Complete your maker's commands. In death, we wound our enemies. The gardener sighed. There was a time when the symbol on my chest meant life. He plucked some stalks of the golden grain among which he stood. Record those words for your code, Aleph. Tell everyone that Jaron Ko said those were better days. It is a pity that they are now long gone. As he spoke, his body changed. The golden skin boiled with black pustules that soon covered his entire body, 
those blisters ruptured and leaked darkness that poured upward into the air, into the atmosphere. The blackness flowed like a waterspout up into the atmosphere. It began to spread across the planet's surface. The Aleph stood with the gardener throughout the entire process. It did not move. It did not speak. It merely witnessed the death of a world. No! He... he couldn't have... Standing with Mentor in the Shi'ar, ex Nilo looked on in horror. Peering down at the planet, he had followed the debris trail from one of the ships that had plunged down into the atmosphere and crashed. Abruptly, a wave of emotion washed over him, and he knew instinctively something profound had occurred below. Get everyone back here, he said. You must sound a retreat. Something unthinkable has happened. Mentor looked toward him and frowned. What? I am a gardener, ex Nihilo explained. I carry both life and death within me. The builders have decided to use foul death in the fight against your attempts. One of mine has killed himself, and in the process poisons the world below us. The planet is already dead, and much as I wish I could change that. I cannot. Mentor moved over to a sensor array. Speak to me. What am I looking for on the surface? You are looking for death. Ex Nihilo watched him. Entropy. Decay. Get as many people as you can off the planet. All too soon it will bear no signs of life. Mentor looked carefully. There is a growing patch of rot. Decay. It's moving very fast. It will cover this planet in a matter of hours. Get all of the people you can to safety, or you will lose them all to this plague of darkness. The evacuation began immediately. Those who had been sent down to the medical facilities were brought back to their ships. Those living on the planet were gathered as quickly as could be managed. Those who wished to stay were convinced to leave when they saw footage of the devastation. Where plants and life had existed, death and rot spread rapidly as the black cloud moved through each area. Less than a tenth of the population of Juan Prime was spared. Hundreds of thousands escaped. But millions died. The collected forces had destroyed the builders' ships. This was the Allies' first victory. The taste was bitter, indeed. Chapter 17 Illumination As each member of the Illuminati approached Adelan, it was with the greatest of stealth. The massive mothership of Thanos still hovered over the floating city. When they arrived, they each were met by a member of the inhuman royal family and escorted to the chamber where Black Bolt could speak without fear of causing harm. Upon entering the spherical chamber, they found themselves standing in a desolate, rocky tableau with deep rifts and floating boulders. They each heard the odd distortions of sound and understood. Their voices, when they spoke, were flat echoes of how they normally sounded. What have you done, Black Bolt? The Black Panther was direct and to the point. Why have you summoned us here while the entire world is under siege? Patience, T'Challa, Dr. Strange said. There is always good reason when the Illuminati are summoned. His words betrayed an unnatural fatigue, their host thought. I think you already know, Black Bolt replied. All of you have dealt with Thanos by now. Uh, we're still dealing with them, Iron Man replied, raising the mask on his armor. 
So make this quick, please. Reed and I have more work to do. Earlier this day, Thanos had his emissary deliver a message. To all of the Inhumans? Reed asked. Or just to you? Stark added. To me, Black Bolt replied. The Mad Titan has demanded a tribute. I am to deliver him the heads of every Inhuman between the ages of sixteen and twenty-two. He took the time to look at each of the Illuminati as he spoke, wanting them to grasp the gravity of his words. Then he held up a small, pointed device, about nine inches long. As I will be delivering my response to this request in person, I asked you here to give you this. What is it? Reed Richards frowned as he accepted the object. Records. The hidden archives of the inhuman kings and queens. In there you will find what Thanos is looking for. But what you said about the tribute, T'Challa began. The tribute is a lie. A convenient one. Thanos is telling to cover up the truth. Though it would kill off a good percentage of my people, something Thanos likely would enjoy. He doesn't desire the death of every child of a certain age. He wants to ensure the death of a very specific inhuman. Which one? T'Challa asked. The one Thanos has come to Earth to kill, the inhuman king said. His son. I'm sorry? Tony Stark responded. What did you say? Thanos is looking for his son. He wants to kill him. Black Bolt paused, gathering his thoughts, then continued. Centuries ago, there was a fracturing of the royal family. Matters of honor and destiny caused blood ties to be severed. Kings and a queen were torn apart. Lost tribes of inhumans scattered themselves across the earth, and some across the stars. We have long possessed the technology. Some remained. In recent days, we have been seeking to unify our people. He studied each member of his gathered Illuminati to make certain they understood. Years ago, light years from this planet, the descendants of one of the tribes ran afoul of Thanos and his minions. Dark things occurred in dark places, and an inhuman woman returned to the earth. She carried the seed of Thanos, and she bore a child. Now, Thanos comes here to find that child, a child who since he was born has been concealed among the hidden tribes. I recently had an encounter with one of Thanos' creatures. It caught me unawares, stole the information from me. At that time, I did not know the name of the child, only that he existed. I think that knowledge alone has driven Thanos here, in search of his offspring. That's what's on this? Richards held the data spike in his hand. The information we need? Where to find his son? That is the Terrigen Codex. Among the Inhumans, it is known to contain all of the hidden knowledge of my house, Reed Richards. Please use it. Find the boy. Protect him. I understand, Richard said. You're not coming with us? Stark said. No. I will remain, because Thanos will come here. He will demand knowledge that I still do not have. With the world as my witness, I will meet him and show him what it means to be an inhuman. He lowered his head. They had worked together many times, and now he asked a favor of them. You should go now. We cannot give in to the likes of Thanos. Namor flinched, he noticed. Curious. It was a negligible thing, 
but he saw it. Dr. Strange gestured. From here the way is twisted but navigable, he said. Gather around. We're going. Sparks like white lightning danced from his fingertips. There was a sudden intake of air, as if to fill a vacuum, and they were gone. Flash, and off they go. Maximus jumped down from his hiding place. He had been there all along. Black Bolt had known, and he suspected the others had as well. That was foolish, brother. Foolish, and unlike you. It was strange to have his brother accuse him of being foolish when Maximus himself often acted the part. Don't you trust me, Maximus? Not if you really gave the humans the codex, the madman replied as they left the sphere. So many secrets. Why would you do something like that? Why would you trust any, well, most of them, really, with everything we know? Black Bolt shook his head and held up another spike. They have a copy. It is heavily edited. They have what they need to find the boy. Nothing more. Oh, I like this plan, Maximus said. That's wiser, I think. And what follows such devious actions? What next, brother? This time, Black Bolt did not reply. He just stood, peering at the device his brother had been building. The weapon. Very good, Maximus responded. I'll make ready the machine. Thanos looked down upon Atalan and considered the fate of the city's people. Corvus Glaive attended him. This is pageant, Corvus, Thanos said. This is a grand play, and the Black King tests me. Has he yielded his tribute to me? No, Thanos. Only silence comes from the inhuman city. I think they cower in their holes and wait for us to change our minds. Then they must not know how we treat the meek. He turned away from the viewport. Prepare my shuttle. Any further delays will be pointless. He moved toward the doors. It's time I took what is mine. It will be done, Glaive said bowing low. Also, the others have returned. And how do they fare? Thanos asked. More failure? In fact, Proxima Midnight brings good news. However? The Black Dwarf did not fail. He was beaten by a human. Thanos let that sink in. Proxima Midnight approached, followed by Supergiant and Black Dwarf. The latter wore an expression of barely contained fear. We are missing one of the Order, Thanos said. Where is the Ebony Maw? No one has seen or heard from him since you sent us to find the gem, Supergiant answered. I have tried calling out to him. He does not answer. Not with his calm and not with his mind. We know where he went, Master, Corvus said. I could... No, let him be. He is unorthodox, but always effective. Do not doubt the maw when we are full up with another's failure. He turned to look at the black dwarf. Forgiveness, Master. The huge warrior dropped to his knees before Thanos and lowered his head in submission. His deep voice rumbled as he spoke. I... 
There were unforeseen complications. Unexpected quality, it was impossible to... Corvus spoke. You embarrass yourself, brother. No one here wants to hear excuses. He turned to Proxima Midnight. Wife, tell Thanos what you learned on your mission. She smiled. There was no resistance in the place the humans call Atlantis. Their prince, also of the secret brotherhood, kneeled before me and humbled himself on the condition that his people be spared. In exchange, he offered the location of the gem, Master. Where? Wakanda. She looked down at the kneeling giant. Where the black dwarf met his betters and shamed us all. Thanos nodded and smiled. Go. We will send all of the Black Order to see if this place can withstand the full might of Thanos. I will join you there when I have taken my tribute. Black Dwarf began to rise. Thank you, Master. I will reclaim all the honor I have lost. I will not fail you a second. Thanos spun and drove his fist down into the scaled head of his general and felt a great satisfaction as the behemoth smashed into the floor of the observation deck. The impact was great enough to ruin the metal beneath him. No, not you, Thanos said. I gave you a world to raise, and in return, you gave me nothing. Black Dwarf lay there, unmoving and barely conscious. I have no need of broken things, child. You will leave this place, and you will not return until I call for you. Pray the suns and stars do not all die before that happens. Chapter 18 Alliances Here's what we have, Reed Richards said to his fellow Illuminati. A holographic globe of the earth appeared over the table in front of them. They sat in the tower known as the Spire of Valhalleth, hidden in Wakanda, far from Birnin Zana, the Golden City. Like the Inhumans of Adalon, these hidden tribes have moved around a lot over the years, most of them intermingling with humanity, even mating with humans. How could they? Neymar asked. Until affected by the Terrigen Mist, they have no powers, and the vast majority could pass for human under the strictest possible genetic guidelines. They also keep amazingly complete genetic records, Richards continued. With those, we should be able to identify and locate Thanos' child. Several dots appeared on the glowing globe. I'm counting six locations, T'Challa observed. The six of us, convenience or providence? Neither, Iron Man said. Still, I think it would be best for us to double up, two to a site, considering the threat level. I mean, we're talking about the son of Thanos here. Does anyone know what the spawn of a space tyrant looks like? We should proceed with caution. Proceed with caution, Namor snorted. Given the nature of this alliance, caution would dictate that we work apart from each other for the foreseeable future. He crossed his arms and shot a side-eyed glance at the panther. T'Challa said nothing, but stiffened visibly. What's going on here? Richards said, looking from the Atlantean to the Wakandan and back. Beyond the normal, tedious acrimony, of course, the beast added. The only answer was a stubborn silence. Well, not to gloss over whatever this is, but there's something else we need to discuss, Iron Man said. 
there are worse things happening in the universe right now, and some of them are occurring right here on Earth. As in, we have Thanos trying to take over the world. So should we really be doing this? Should we be handling inhuman business? He leaned in. I thought we agreed everything is secondary to the cause. Our private lives, our partners, our families, everything. They all looked at him, but no one spoke. Then the beast responded. I didn't agree to that, he said. No one here did. That's you making rules, Anthony, and expecting us to follow them. He gestured with a huge, blue-furred hand. Do you honestly think I wouldn't be running back to the Jean Grey school if I felt the need? We should help if we can. How could we not? Beside which, anything we can do to screw up Thanos' plans is a plus in my book. Reed nodded. Hank's right, he said, bringing a hand up to his chin. I don't know what's wrong with me. Before launching into business, I should have checked, asked how each of you is doing. Maybe it's because my family is off-planet right now. I forget myself. It shouldn't make a difference, but it probably does. So, he added, Is everyone all right? He looked to his old friend. T'Challa? Wakanda repelled the invasion, the panther answered. The golden city still stands. And you? Tony and I made it through okay, Reed said. New York fared better than most because it's home to so many of us. He turned toward Dr. Strange. Stephen, you were there. Was Strange brushed away the thought. I'm fine. Perfectly fine. Hank? One of Thanos' henchmen was some kind of omnipath. She came looking for something specific. I now assume it was the child. There was a fight and a lot of the X-Men were injured. However, she left as soon as she decided what they were looking for wasn't there. Lots of damage, he continued. We all survived, which is better than many can claim. Reed frowned. It's not lost to me that most of the places where Thanos' generals made themselves known were also places where we were present. He focused on the last of their group. Namor. How was Atlantis? Namor looked down. Destroyed, he said. Utterly. Raising his head, he looked at each of the Illuminati and stared hardest, perhaps, at T'Challa. Then he gestured toward the globe. So let's help Black Bolt and find this bastard son, shall we? After all, we have a brother in need. Carol, wake up. They're coming back. Captain Marvel raised her head and opened her eyes. The first person she saw was Clint Barton. He was a welcome sight. They had known each other for years. Then she saw the Aleph... It looked like the others they'd fought, large, metallic, glowing eyes, with a face that seemed all chin and brow. There were two of them, and a gardener. This one very obviously was female, for Ex Nihilo sported two large, uneven horns. This creature possessed antlers that would have made a five-point buck envious. Carol's hands were clamped together, and she was suspended from the ceiling. All of them were. As she woke, the Aleph checked cannonball. Assessing. Mutate. Human male. Contained. Then sunspot. Assessing. Mutate. Human male. Contained. The second olive. Checked Hawkeye. Assessing. Base type. Human male. Contained. Clint snorted. Keep thinking that, pal. The first olive moved forward while the golden-skinned female watched on. Like Ex Nihilo, she had the same Omega mark on her chest and a third eye. 
it was open. The Aleph touched Carol and moved probes from its fingers around the edges of her face. Assessing. Human-Cree-hybrid female. Enhanced. The gardener looked interested. Really? A half-breed with enhancements? She drew closer, towering over her captive. The universe is such a chaotic and wonderful place. Tell me, child, what brought you to this? Her voice carried an edge of arrogance that was very likely unconscious. It was no less annoying for that fact. Carol chose not to answer the question, but she remembered well enough. The ship got caught in an explosion and the lights went out. There was a fight. She thought the others were surely dead because the ship cracked like an egg. She came out of the Quinn Cruiser like a rocket and took on five of the Alephs. She lost. The next thing she knew, she and the others were all here, wherever here was, and all of them were restrained. The cuffs didn't look like much, but she hadn't been able to break them, no matter how hard she tried. The gardener looked down at her and smiled. It ran its hands over her, touched her, as if to make certain she was real. The touch was intimate enough to make it creepy. With one hand, the creature grabbed her chin and forced her to look up into its green eyes. What brings you to this? The same annoying question again. Well, in the beginning there was nothing. Then there was everything. Carol smiled. The good Lord saw fit to bring me into this world to kick the asses of those who need it most. So I'd get ready if I were you. Because this day or the next, it's coming. The gardener looked pleased. <laughs> She'll do. Bring her. One of the Aleph's removed the cuffs from the strange line that connected them to the ceiling. Before Carol could get her balance, it began to drag her across the floor. This really sucks, she thought irritably. Clint started struggling. God love him. Hey, no, stop. Leave her alone. You can take me instead. She told him more than once that his chivalrous nature would be the end of him. He was human, and she was, well, she was something a bit more. The gardener smiled at him. Don't worry, it said. We'll be back for you soon enough. The behemoth ring world. Massive, did not begin to properly express the size of the place. In the center of the ring, there was a broken planet at least the size of Jupiter. From within the center of that ruptured world, a powerful light glowed. Perhaps it was a sun being born. Perhaps it was merely the planet's core. In any event, the light from within cast a bright warmth over the whole of the ring built around it. While the planet itself could not be inhabited, it was too hot and desolate. The ring was covered with cities and outposts, built by the Shi'ar, who knew how long ago. It was as impressive a creation as Spider-Woman had ever seen. Currently, more than 100 million refugees from the Builders' War were being cared for on the ring's surface. Around it, beyond the atmosphere, hundreds of ships moved steadily, standing guard and gathering supplies. Jessica and Chang-Chi stood overlooking a courtyard that was teeming with activity. Badly overwhelmed medical personnel were vastly outnumbered by the wounded and dying. Nearby, Eden was doing his best to calm an injured Skrull, while another, smaller one, stood not far away. Here you go. Hopefully this will make it a little better, Eden said, and his patient remained silent. He hurts, the small Skrull said meekly. I know, I'm sorry. 
There are medical teams going through the camps right now. They should be here soon. Jessica doubted he was right. What's taking so long to get these people out? Manifold spoke to her softly. One hundred million refugees and counting? She replied. Most of the medical teams are screening new arrivals from plague worlds like Wan Prime. It's bad all around. She wished she could offer more reassurance, but there was none to be found. Shang-Chi nodded. It could be much worse, he said. At least no one is hungry. Ex Nihilo has provided the Ringworld with thousands of new gardens and has encouraged them to continuously yield food. Tending to them gives many of the refugees something to do. The hope is that being occupied will keep them from dwelling on what they have lost, which I suspect is the point for him as well. Doing good to occupy his mind, not dwelling on the dark actions of the builders who made him. That's all well and good, but I look at all of this, and we don't know where half of our team is. I can't help but be furious, Jessica said. When are we going to hit back against the source of all this misery? I believe that matter is being addressed now. Shang-Chi looked toward the largest structure in sight, a massive stone affair that had an air of age about it. Captain America and Thor stood near a table in the center of a vast, almost empty conference arena. Seated at the table were members of the Galactic Council. Annihilus had his wings draped like a cloak behind him. Jassan was agitated, frustrated, and full of nervous energy. He sat only for a moment before he stood and began pacing. An emissary of the brood crouched in its seat, as if poised to leap at the next bared throat. Clert of the scrolls sat as far from the Cree as possible, but he attended and listened to all who spoke. The reptilian Badoon had sent a representative, though he seemed uncomfortable with the idea of sitting. Ronin the Accuser sat near Annihilus and held out his hand, above which a projection of the Cree's supreme intelligence appeared holographically. Finally, there was Gladiator. How are we so wrong? He said, his voice filled with regret. The brood emissary responded, Is it wrong to hunt a hulu only to find it bound with a gurdak? The beast had a second mouth that it did not show until we made it scream. Now we really know what we are facing. Yes, we do. Jassan spoke up, his face set in a scowl. And it's even worse than you think. My war masters have analyzed the readings we took of the Builder fleet as we left the corridor. Have any of you? The Supreme Intelligence answered. Seventeen thousand light cruisers, three thousand carriers, two thousand heavy cruisers, and six hundred world ships, twelve world killers. Jassan nodded his head, and his scowl deepened. Yes, and that is just the main arm of the invasion fleet. There is word of smaller groups tearing through clusters at the edge of council space. We are badly outnumbered, to say nothing of being outgunned. He paced faster. Our choices appear to be defeat or acquiescence. Then let our deaths be glorious, Annihilus responded. Clert stared at him with undisguised disgust. Dying with valor means we sacrifice achieving our goals. Has that happened? No, not yet it hasn't. The cost was high, but I have just reunited the bulk of the Skrull Empire, and I prefer living. Of course, Gladiator nodded. But we do not know our enemy, and if we do not know them, how can we possibly find a way to defeat them? We are crippled by our ignorance. And their superior numbers... Jassan was not optimistic. 
Captain America cleared his throat. Excuse me, Gladiator, he said. But if that's the case, I think there's someone the Council needs to see. Jassan spun around as if slapped and shoved a finger toward the Avenger. No one wants to hear from you backwater apes, he said, almost shouting. When we need bodies to throw at the enemy or laborers to dig graves, then we will have a use for human help. Thor took half a step forward and placed his hand on Mjolnir's haft. He calmed himself, but Jassan was reminded that one of the humans he spoke of was, in fact, an Asgardian and capable of pulping his entire body with a small gesture. The Spartax king did his best to look as if he were unfazed. The small smile on Thor's face said he failed. The supreme intelligence spoke. In encounters with the Kree, the Spartax have historically achieved victory in 34% of military engagements, he said. That is a percentage substantially lower than the humans have achieved. I think we should listen to what the Earth strategist Captain America, who has defeated the Kree before, has to say. Gladiator looked toward Jassan only for a moment, and then turned to Captain America. Will you bring your witness before the council, please? Jassan fumed. Thor smiled. Captain America nodded and left the chambers. He returned ten minutes later. Chapter 19 Judas Captain Marvel walked under her own power, but her arms were still cuffed behind her back. The chamber she entered was filled with several differently shaped gold-skinned creatures, the things she thought of as gardeners. Some were male, others female, with some she had no idea whether gender even existed. One looked twice the size of the Hulk, and another had four arms. With them were a few of the Alephs, and there was another creature no larger than an average human, but with an insectoid face and what looked like bio-armor encasing its form. There was a moment when she wondered whether it might be one of Annihilus's creatures, but no, they had little in common. Ex Niela the bug-faced thing looked at the gardener that accompanied Carol. This is the one you chose? You believe she has the information we need? These questions must be answered. I want the knowledge just as you do, Engineer. She was clearly the leader of the captured human types. If any of them know, she will. Very well. The thing turned to face her at last. Its multifaceted eyes were a deep red. Look here, human. We are not by nature the destroyers of things. In fact, we cultivated all that is worth considering in this universal sphere, if not directly by our hands, then by the systems we created to do this good work. All that there is flowing from our hands. Do you understand? She did not reply, and scanned the room. Against one wall, encased in some sort of vertical suspended animation tubes, she could see Abyss, Nightmask, and Starbrand. These were their heavy hitters, and yet they'd been taken out of the game. The thing pointed to the captured beings and moved closer to yet another tube. This one lay across the deck. She couldn't see who was in it, but if the others were any indication, she was pretty sure she knew. How do you come to have these entities with you? The engineer demanded. She smiled. I don't know. Just make it look some charm, I guess. 
There was whispering among the gardeners. They looked at Abyss again and again. It has been so long. Are we sure? Yes, she is real. How is it possible? I don't know, but it is wonderful, isn't it? An abyssal, alive. The bug-faced creep leaned in closer to Carol, scrutinizing her face. She fought to maintain her composure. The sentient systems are one thing, it said. One of the ancient abyssi, all of which were thought lost. A night mask, arbiter of the change, even a planetary defense system like the star brand. But this... It pointed to the case that lay on the deck in front of her, and the opaque glass cleared up as light washed from the interior. She was right. Captain Universe rested inside, her eyes closed, apparently still in a comatose state. This is heretical, the engineer hissed. You have the Great Mother, who made us all, and whom we long ago rejected. So we ask you again, how do you come to have all of these things? What sets you apart? What makes you so special? One of the Alephs chose that moment to speak up. Declarative. A ship approaches us. It has one occupant. It is an enemy vessel. The bug thing turned toward the Aleph. Its mandibles clicked and moved as it considered. Is the vessel a threat? Declarative. There are no active weapon systems. It appears to have taken its core offline once it entered our local space. All efforts seem to suggest it wishes to appear harmless. Another of the bug-faced things moved into Carol's view. She had been unaware it was there. The second one spoke up, looking at the prone Captain Universe, even as it talked. We should destroy it. No, bug-faced one said. We will wait here and see if the occupant has anything worthwhile to say or offer. We might even gain an advantage from this encounter. It turned back to Carol and spoke again. You have not yet answered my queries. Carol shrugged and felt the manacles pull at her wrists. Maybe they came to help us stop invaders from killing off our planet for no good reason. The thing reared back. For a long moment... It did not speak. She hoped the damn thing choked on its fears. Ex Nihilo avoided making eye contact with any of the council members. I do not know why they are attacking, he said. Much of what I have seen confuses me. I have never met my makers, these builders. All I know of my kind are the things my father, Aleph, taught me. The first lesson I learned was that I am a life-bringer. This death that follows the builders wherever they go, it was not what I was trained for. Something has gone very wrong, and I do not know why. The gardener turned to face them. Watching another me kill himself to poison a world. Something has gone very wrong, and it must be stopped. He was repeating himself, and Cap could see how distressed he was. It must be stopped. Whatever you might need from me, you will have it. Why? Clert, the super scroll, asked. Why? Ex Nihilo echoed. What do you mean? I mean, why? The scroll's face wrinkled into a mask of frustration. I mean, why are they doing this? What do they want? What is the damned point of these attacks? I do not know, Ex Nihilo said again. But their behavior has been predictable, hasn't it? 
The builders are efficient, direct, linear, so perhaps... Wait, the supreme intelligence said abruptly from its hologram. Plotting path, extending projection, factoring in orbital variations and calculating. The line extends directly through Cree space, through our capital world, Hala. Ronan frowned. Supremor, are you saying that we... Calculating, extending, through the Cygnus arm, and then... He paused for a moment, as if double-checking his figures. Earth. So this is why you are here. Jassan glared at Captain America, nearly spitting the words. Yes. Cap looked directly back at him, and nodded. Of course it is. But it's why we're all here, isn't it? These builders appear to be like gods who, for reasons beyond my understanding, are hell-bent on destroying everything that lies in front of them, which includes all of you. He turned away from the fuming Jassan and gestured toward the others gathered around him. Clert, the brood leader, Gladiator. So far, all evidence points to us being unable to stop them, but maybe that's the key to beating them. Are you suggesting some sort of deception? Gladiator wasn't getting what he was saying, at least not completely. Three Spartax soldiers approached their king, and Jassan nodded his head, moving away. Without letting it distract him, Cap continued, but he logged the event for later. I think they'd see right through any attempts at subterfuge. There's plenty of evidence to suggest the Builders are tactically superior to us in every way. The brood emissary moved closer, and Cap resisted the urge to shiver. After all, he continued, they've proven that, haven't they? No. I'm thinking more along the lines of an egg. The brood emissary bobbed its head. Ah, infestation. That is a possibility. But how will we get enough of them close to the breeders? It was going to be a long discussion. Somewhere along the way, the engineer talking to Carol had gone preachy. And do you want to know why we have lived so long? She resisted saying something like clean living and let it continue to ramble. Why we have done all these magnificent things? She managed not to vomit up her lunch. I'm dying to know, she said, assuming the alien wouldn't grasp something as subtle as sarcasm. Because we are the only ones capable, it continued, proving her right. Who else would do these things? You? It gestured over its shoulder. Then? As if on cue, one of the Alephs brought over a figure in what looked like Spartak's armor with a helmet obscuring its head. It wasn't a standard helmet. There were projection screens covering most of it. Declarative, here is the sole occupant of the captured vessel. Declarative, it has a communication mechanism fused to the host, the source of the signal we detected earlier. Query, terminate. The engineer turned to look at the captured occupant of the suit and considered for a moment. No. I want to hear its words. The mask of miniature screens flickered into a projected image. She recognized the speaker immediately. Jassan of the Spartax stared up at the engineer. He wasn't there, but he was present just the same. Captain Marvel raised an eyebrow. This would certainly be enlightening. Greetings, builders, the hologram said. I am Jassan, king of the Spartax Empire. The engineer tilted its head. 
and I am more. What do you want, Jason the Lesser? The arrogance Carol had sensed was confirmed in that moment. She couldn't read the expression on the insect face, but she could certainly define the words easily enough. Jason frowned. Likely he wasn't used to people of any sort responding that way. She knew plenty like him. They came from nearly every world. I seek a truce, he replied. The insect mandibles rubbed against each other, and the engineer lifted its hands in a gesture with which she wasn't familiar. The fingers waggled, and the wrists moved until the palms of the hands were facing upward. A truce implies that we both have something to gain and lose, the engineer said. This does not seem to be our position, or yours. Jason continued, unfazed. Right now I am with all the other council members planning your destruction. Carol frowned to hear that. I do not deny the impressive nature of your fleet. Perhaps we'll fail, but we could get lucky. That is the nature of war, after all. So certainly there must be something we can offer you. Certainly there must be something you want. The bug-faced engineer leaned in closer until Jassan's reflection could be seen in the facets of its eyes. What we want is the preservation of our universe, it responded. What we want is the destruction of a world, the one called Earth. What? Carol couldn't stop her outburst, and she felt her stomach twist into a knot. Why the Earth? What possible significance could it have? It was her home, and she loved it, but... It was hardly a significant mud ball in the grander scheme of things. The technology to move into the stars barely existed there. Jassan sneered. I knew it. All of this over a useless backwater planet. I could give you the Earth. I believe I could do that if it means you would leave my empire alone. I'll arrange it right now if it will end this war. All you have to do is say the word. She could understand his wanting to barter, but if she could have gotten her hands on the king of Spartax, she'd have knocked him straight back to his damned empire. Once again, the hands aimed toward the ceiling, and the fingers danced madly. It was silent laughter. The damned thing was laughing at Jassan, and he failed to understand it. Cultures didn't all use the same gestures in the same ways. Oh, you insignificant creature. The engineer turned and walked away from him. This is not a war. It is a cleansing. Your worlds have been found wanting. It turned back and, again, stepped closer to Jassan. Just the same, we thank you for what you have given us. What do you mean? Your signal, encoded and encrypted by your people, but easily broken. You have given us your location, the location of your fleet and your commanders. For that, I am truly grateful. You have saved us a minor effort. The Aleph, standing near Jassan's emissary, spoke up. Query... Is this one aware of what damage an object traveling at point two light speed can cause to a superstructure? Oh, gods. No, Jassan said. Declarative. Yes. The Aleph destroyed the king's avatar. Whoever was actually in that armor never stood a chance. Carol hoped that wherever the sniveling king of Spartax might be, he felt some of the pain. The gathered council members listened and responded to Captain America's suggested plan of action. It is a good plan, Gladiator said. There's a problem, however. It will not work without a believable forward action. The price will be high. 
King Jassan moved back into the group. His hands were shaking, his eyes were dazed, and blood leaked from one ear. You have to listen. His voice was very weak. Cap frowned and turned toward him. Can we pledge the full might of the accusers, Ronan? The Supreme Intelligence asked the question, and Ronan nodded. If you call for it, Supremor, the Corps will answer. No, you must listen to me, Jassan said, louder now. Something is wrong. He looked up to the heavens as he spoke, and his voice faded to a little more than a whisper. Wrong. The rest looked up, including Captain America. They've found us, Thor said. Sentient drones screamed into the atmosphere of the ring world. The refugees had gathered in a place where the risks were few. They were far away from where the builders were moving, and the plan was to hide, regroup, and prepare. The time for hiding had ended. One of the Shi'ar cruisers tried to move between the drones and the ring. The cruiser was struck and evaporated in the explosion, but this did not stop the assault from hitting the ring itself. Almost one hundred million survivors from the Builders' War were on the ring, fleeing from the enemies that had come without warning and crushed worlds and ships alike. Over forty million of those refugees died in the strike. The behemoth broke. Where each drone struck, the damage spread exponentially. Explosions ran the ring's full length, the detonations shattering the superstructure. The force of those explosions liquefied massive sections that rippled, bucked, and fell apart. Bodies were hurled into space along with the debris. Some were dead, others were not. Screams were quickly swallowed by the vacuum. Captain America was one of those bodies. He would surely have died right then and there, but the super scroll reached out and caught him with an arm that stretched far beyond the possibilities of even the shapeshifters. Cap felt the barrier the scroll put around him that sealed in an atmosphere. Even as he was saved, he saw Ex Nihilo generating bubbles of breathable gases around several different groups. Jassan stared at the ruination and wept openly. His face said what he did not. This was his fault. He had done something supremely stupid. Cap didn't know exactly what it was, and he couldn't spare the time to think about it. The destruction was on a scale he never imagined could exist, and he had seen the sorts of horrors that would never stop haunting him. Winds roared through the remaining atmosphere, and while Thor did what he could to calm them, even gods had limits. Though a large area was spared, the storms tore apart other sections with wild abandon. Captain America watched it all, unable to do anything to stop the devastation. The builders made their intentions known. There would be no mercy. What happened next would be inevitable. The council gathered again aboard the Lilandra. For a long while, there was no meeting. Instead, there were different leaders doing what they could to assess the damage to their people and their forces. Before long, the reports started coming in. Captain America, along with several other Avengers, stood nearby and listened. First, the Builder fleet went to Centauri Four. Several enemy ships landed in a show of force, and the Centaurians offered themselves in surrender. Better to live, they had reasoned. None could disagree. The Chimelians followed suit, surrendering even as the builders arrived in their solar system. No one blamed them. Their race was ancient and proud, but they did not have the military strength to withstand an attack by the builders. There's no choice, Steve, the Black Widow said quietly to Captain America. With a long history dealing with foreign governments, she was trained to know how people would respond to certain types of force and what governments would do 
in times of stress. A lot of the smaller groups will surrender. It's the only wise option, and so far the builders seem to be accepting surrender as an alternative to outright destruction. He nodded his head. It's the only move that makes sense, he agreed, but he was not happy about it. He'd fought against the Nazis and Hitler, but he still understood the differences. The Nazis had never possessed a weapon capable of obliterating an entire civilization with the push of a button. If they had, World War II likely would have ended very differently. Ronan the Accuser stood in the center of the chamber and gestured to get the attention of those around him. His face was grim when he spoke. Word has come to me, he said. The Supreme Intelligence has considered the possibilities as the Builder fleet moves closer to Hala. It has consulted with the thousands of intellects that exist within its vast memory and decreed that we cannot win. Ronan lowered his head. The Kree Empire has surrendered. There was chatter, but no one spoke above a murmur. I requested permission to stay here and fight alongside your forces, he continued, along with my accusers. However, it seems the victors are refusing to accept anything short of total and complete submission. It seemed as if every word he spoke was ripped from him. Ronan was a warrior first, and a proud man. I have been ordered to return home with what remains of our fleet. He turned and paced, a predator forced to hide its teeth. Surrender is a shameful thing for a warrior. Better to die here, fighting alongside you, but I do not answer only to my conscience. He kept his calm, but it wasn't an easy thing. Captain America understood only too well. Duty, it seems, is all I have left. Today I see little honor in it. He stopped pacing and faced them. Die well, heroes. You will be remembered. Well, then it's over, Jassan said. We are crippled, and what seemed impossible now seems critical. The Kree represented one-fourth of our remaining fleet. This war has become pointless. We cannot win. We are going to lose. The only sane course is to withdraw from the battle as well. The Spartans will return home, fortify our worlds, and prepare for the worst. Survival is now all that matters. Captain America peered at Thor, trying to read the expression on his teammate's face. All he found was contempt for the king. Live is something we are not. Gladiator shook his head. No. The Shi'ar will stay and fight. Clert nodded his agreement. We will fight as well. You cannot domesticate and har. We have seen what the builders are capable of doing. They are predators posing as something merciful, even if I am wrong. He looked at Jassan as he spoke. What better way to die than on your feet with blood on your hands and the bodies of your enemies underfoot? Jassan spoke, and once again his contempt for the earthlings was made clear. Well, if you fools insist on throwing your lives away, you should know that the Builders have prisoners. Humans. I would assume the ones from the defeat at the corridor. He looked at Captain America with unbridled hostility, as if, somehow, the Avengers were responsible for everything that had gone wrong. How do you know that? Cap demanded. We are not backwater savages, Captain. 
Do not question how, when you are incapable of comprehending all the things your betters can do. The defeated king straightened his spine and squared his shoulders. My ways are beyond you. The glow of energies surrounded Jassan and his retinue. It lasted only for a moment, and then they were gone. Thor's sneer grew profound. He betrays us. Annihilus said what they were likely all feeling. Gladiator crossed his arms. Possibly. If so, that is a situation we will deal with another time. For now, our problems remain the same. We do not know how to defeat these builders, and we cannot survive another tactical error. We are both blind and lost. Cap disagreed. The problem is, you're not used to anything but strategizing from a position of strength, Gladiator. You're looking at the chessboard the wrong way. Thor looked toward him. The Aeneid? Captain America nodded his head. So you have a plan, then? Gladiator towered over him and gave his full attention. I do, Cap replied. But there's one thing I'm going to need to make it work. And what might that be? Thor smiled. The good captain will require the right bait.